I'm happy right now. I hope you're happy. I'm happy right now. Quick warning, there might be some coughing in the background of this podcast. Not me. I'm not sick, but my dog is in the room next to me. Very risky to have this dog in the room as I record a podcast because the growth on his neck is so big and this goiter is so obtrusive that his windpipe is being squeezed a little bit. Not too much. Not too much, but just enough to make him cough, cough, cough throughout the day and night. So you might hear a little bit of that in the background, yet I'm still happy. And also, I just bit my tongue so hard as I was eating a burger for lunch, but I'm still happy. Did I bite my tongue so hard that I thought I was going to just spit out a mouthful of blood? I did. I even thought that I might have severed part of the tongue. It was one of those bites, yet I recovered quickly. I mean, I could have just gotten angry. I could have allowed the old tongue bite to drive me into a tizzy of rage, but I will not. I'm too happy. I worked out. It's that simple. You could spend thousands of hours on a therapist's couch. None of it, none of it will ever equate the feeling of leaving the gym. My confidence, I feel like a superhero when I leave the gym. I don't know what happens to me. Hit the treadmill, hit the elliptical, waits for about 15-20 minutes, hit the sauna, hit the hot tub, hit a shower with all the naked older fellas, and then get my clothes on, pack up my backpack, look in the mirror, I see Superman. Endorphins released, serotonin jumping all around my head. De-stressors. There is science behind it. What is happening with my brain chemicals after a workout? I don't know, but I actually feel in control of everything. Self-esteem at an all-time high. Confidence at an all-time high. Body image at an all-time high. Ability to do math doesn't change at all, but you didn't ask. But today was extra happy at the gym. Today was happiness with whipped cream and that cherry on top elevated to higher levels because as I was doing the hot tub portion of my day, I look to my right and there's a lap pool adjacent to the hot tub and in it about 20, I don't want to use the word elderly, but about 20 older folks ages 75 to 85 doing water aerobics, being led by an older gentleman with a stick mic, like a Britney Spears wireless face microphone. And he had them raging. It was a straight party during water aerobics today. Big smiles, big smiles on the older folks. And I just ate it all up. The lap pool adjacent to the hot tub. I had my body turned to it. I wasn't looking away. It was the greatest show I've seen in a long time. And this leader, this guy who was in charge was so gregarious. He was so excited. And everyone in the pool was so excited. And I'm not making this up. The song that was playing and booming from the loudspeakers was, I'm so excited. Even as I tell this story, I'm getting excited. Actually, as I tell this story, I feel the need to go to Spotify and play the song, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. So hold on. Hold on. There we go. He's saying, could I get your hands in the air? All hands in the air. And now we're just going to shuffle to the left, shuffle to the left, shuffle to the left. Everybody's shuffling. And now, shuffle to the right, shuffle to the right, shuffle to the right. Fellas are laughing. The ladies in the back row are giggling. And I don't know if it was the music 
that was making me so happy or just the idea of, hey, there's me in 40 years. There it is. I was able to picture my old self having a blast in the pool the way I currently do with weights. Want to love you. And wireless microphone Melvin is just getting them going for a big finish. You know he made the playlist. Because the very next song that came on was Just get those old records off the shelf. You remember that one? Risky Business? Tom Cruise? Slipping in the living room with his socks? Bob Seger maybe? I don't know. But I kept listening and I was like, this is bliss. What I'm watching right now is not only the best part of their day, it's the best part of my day. So I'm now going to schedule my workouts around YMCA water aerobics just to watch. I don't think I'll get in with them. You think about how much music adds to a scene. Every movie you've ever watched. Think about the score. Just a good conversation, a dramatic conversation between two characters in a movie. That's fine. But when they add the score, the music, you don't even focus on the music. I'm not talking about the soundtrack. Soundtrack's obvious for a montage, for an intro, credits rolling, transportation scene, whether it's an airplane going through the sky or a train going through a tunnel, always good music, but just the subtleties of a good score in a movie, it brings you in. And sometimes, I'm so deranged, I picture the score happening in my mind as I'm having conversations. Sometimes, when I'm on a run, I picture not just the music, but the scene in a movie. And this would be a really boring movie if it featured a scene of me running, but still I figure there's credits rolling, everybody's in the movie theater having popcorn watching this, and the music is just so good. Whatever song it is, whatever song I'm into at that point, I feel like it captures the mood, even the most mundane task. Go wash dishes, but play a little ACDC. Go rake the leaves and then put on Van Halen. Go fold laundry dramatically. Go fold laundry really dramatically and then put on some Adele. And if captured perfectly, movie scene. Live your life with movie scenes. Because when you watch a movie, that's not real. None of it's real. None of it even feels real. Even when I watch acting, I'm so fully aware of the script that they memorized and the score adding drama to the moment that I barely, I hate to say this, I barely get invested. I mean, I like movies, but I'm not one to feel so captured that this was a sliver of real life. Man, did they just capture real life? No, it's fun. It's entertaining. But it's a production. Our life isn't like that. We have so many lulls, silences. The other day, my wife and I were getting ready for a couple of friends to come over, and we realized the house is not clean. So we did one of those rapid cleanings that everybody does. It's not like a deep cleanse of the house, but you know, you just hide all the boxes into a closet. You kind of swipe the counters with your arm, and then whatever lands on the ground, you swipe that into a closet. Then you wipe down just parts of the house that people can see. Hide things. I shouldn't even call it a cleaning. We did a hiding. And you make the house look decent, pretty good. But as we were doing this so rapidly, I was like, oh my God, if this was edited properly, this would be a great scene with the right music. Now, instead, it was just us doing this in silence, but I was picturing it, how it would be captured with the right music. You could do the classic. That's too clown-like, though. The proper speed cleaning song. 
in a movie as if that would be entertaining? Probably wouldn't. Hey, it's just a husband and a wife cleaning their house rapidly, waiting for guests to come over. But what would be the right song for that? Um, probably, I'm so excited. I just can't hide. No. Maybe something Huey Lewis. Maybe, uh, actually, I should just search on my Spotify. Heart, the band Heart. Barracuda, doing speed dishes, speed sweeping, speed dusting. Now it's a scene. Now it's fun to watch. Now it's fun to experience. All right, enough of that. That lady, though, the lead singer of Heart, just go ahead, check her out on a YouTube video. She could sing. True rock star, true front woman. You think these true rock stars, by the way, not to go off on a tangent, just get so sick of their own music on their tours? Think about that for a moment. Like, we get so excited. Elton John, isn't he always on tour? How sick is Elton John of hearing Elton John songs? He starts off Benny and the Jets. 20,000 people start to roar. Deep down, he might get caught up in the energy, but he must be so bored of that music. These bands that had major hits in the 70s, 80s, and you still see their names popping up in local concert venues, it's meaningful for the fans, and I think the true rock stars recognize that. But they don't give a shit anymore. That's why when I saw Bob Dylan, it was such a disappointment, because he still writes music. He's sick of Mr. Tambourine Man. He's sick of the man in me. He's sick of all that stuff. Like a Rolling Stone. Bob Dylan is still writing such boring music and putting fans to sleep with it. When really, we just want to hear the old shit. But there's something respectable about Bob saying, No thanks. No thanks. That was me in the 60s. Here's me in 2020. There's a major obligation. If you're an aging musician to play the hits, you don't have to. If you can reinvent yourself, that's rare. The artists that pop big and they become classic rockers, and then all of a sudden, you see they're at the county fair, and if you were to go to that show at the county fair, or any place, the Cow Palace, wherever they're hanging out, and they're not going to play the hits for you, it's a disappointment. But they've been touring for, what, 40 years? City to 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 city, playing that shit. This falls into the category of, I think we romanticize a lot of professions. A lot of professions we look at and go, man, that must be the life but if you talk to these people, I wonder how great it is on a day-to-day level. Whatever profession right now you glorify or you look at and put on a pedestal and say, that's just probably the best life ever. I guarantee you could get that person to complain for hours about what they do. Just like any job. Just like any jab. Like last night, I went to see Ali Wong at the Masonic Theater in San Francisco. Now, I've seen Ali Wong twice. First time I saw her, maybe about eight years ago. She was headlining the Comedy Store in La Jolla. She was amazing. Comedy Store in La Jolla, what, 200 seats? Quaint, small, intimate room. Last night, she comes out, it's a laser show. Lights, camera, action. You even had to put away your cell phones. Actually, lock away your cell phones for the show, which I can respect. But she's had a stratospheric rise. I mean, she is an absolute celebrity now after a couple of Netflix specials. And she used to not be able to sell out little clubs 
That's why after her set, she had a pretty good set last night. She came back out to the microphone, not for an encore, but she was crying. And she says, I've never really cried before on stage, but this is my 18th straight show at the Masonic, which is a big theater for stand-up comedy. And they've all sold out and she's, you know, selling books, writing movies, living the Hollywood lifestyle. But she had a true moment of reflection to just say, thanks. This is not how my life used to be. So it's because of all of you, you the fans that have let me live this way. But I was thinking, comedy's a weird thing because when she was an open micer, when she was probably even way before I saw her, but just trying out this weird career of comedy, she was probably so funny. Just as funny as she currently is. Playing in some coffee house for a bunch of people not paying attention. That's why comedy's weird. Sometimes you're the best at the beginning. Like right at the beginning. And if it's a meritocracy, if the cream rises, then your career takes off. But then it plateaus and then you descend at some point. Nobody hits comedy and stays relevant for like 30 years. Nobody, right? And I kind of felt that way last night. Like, all right. Like she's reached the pinnacle. She was good. She wasn't laugh out loud. My buddy Chris, actually, who had two extra tickets, he forgot to tell me it was front row. Front row tickets to Ali Wong? And I looked at the price. I know it's tacky to bring this up. Said 200 bucks. 200 bucks for comedy. How much money is she making? She even referred to it many times. I am a millionaire now. I am a millionaire. My husband is now a stay at home dad, a Harvard Business School graduate. He's now a stay at home dad because I make jokes that you laugh at. How powerful is that? But is she better than she was 10 years ago? I don't think so. I think she was just as funny, if not funnier, hungrier. Gotta stay hungry. Complacency is probably the biggest career killer if you're an artist. If that's your path in life, anything in the arts, whether you're a singer, dancer, actor, comedian, musician of any kind, complacency, isn't that when you start to fade away? I was listening to Judd Apatow being interviewed on Conan. He's never felt satisfied. Never. Yet he keeps churning out very, very good shows and movies and documentaries and books. And it's because he's troubled. He's troubled. He's not able to lean back, relax, and enjoy his success. He can't stop writing. He can't stop writing. There's something about his brain chemistry that was saying, I'm miserable. It was weird to hear Judd Apatow, yet another career that we probably glorify and say, it's amazing, Judd Apatow, what a producer, a screenwriter, a stand-up comic. He sounded so unhappy. He even started to sound like he envies Blue-collar jobs. He was saying, if you mess up an oil change, you work at Jiffy Lube, your day goes on. And then when you go home, you detach. You're not thinking about cars and the mechanic's garage and the tools anymore. Judd Apatow was saying, but as a comedy writer, I'm always thinking that I should be writing. Because as I experience life, I'm looking for the funny. I'm always looking for the funny. So he doesn't allow himself to just detach. Separate from his job as comedy writer because he feels like that's always what's going on. I get it. I get it. It's also why he's so prolific, so troubled. There's so many stories like that. Athletes too. A lot of the greatest athletes never rest on their laurels, never feel satisfied looking at their highlights, looking at all the accolades and trophies. Most athletes probably look back at their careers and nitpick it, pick knit it, nitpick it, pick at all the nits. I don't even know how I got on this. I was just talking about the music and the pool at the Y. Made it look like a scene from a movie. Endorphin levels spiking today at the Y. With that 75 to about 85, even 90-year-old crowd, what a day. The other thing about working out, though, is it makes you have a bigger appetite. You just want to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. There's probably science behind that as well. 
After a workout, I could eat three lunches. And I do. And if I don't say the two words eat mindfully, I barely taste it. Inhale. Maybe this is oddly because I own a beagle who only inhales and I've watched him for 14 years, how he eats. Like if I put a steak on the ground, my dog has the ability to just wrestle it down. Wrestle it down his esophagus. It's not even biting. It's like a big swallow pill to him. Everything he eats, it just vanishes. It's amazing. It's a vacuum face. It's not a real face. He's probably not even a real dog. This is a hybrid vacuum slash raccoon. And I call it a beagle. But I have no proof. I have no papers. And I think I've watched him eat like this for so long that I eat like an animal at times. Unless I am mindful enough to say out loud. My wife will attest to this. Let's eat mindfully. Let's try to taste. And when I say let's, I'm just talking to myself. But I've done it many times and it works. The intention is there. If I say, let's just slow it down. I don't know why I say let's. I should just say, I should slow it down. Taste the food. Taste these bites. Then it's a different experience. A totally different experience. That's why the idea of eating sushi with a bunch of people who I would be socializing with is not appealing. Sushi, I like just pulling up the seat to the sushi bar, staring at the sushi chef, who knows what he's doing, and having that experience. That is the perfect way to eat mindfully. Sashimi, nigiri, some of these specialty rolls. Sushi makes me eat mindfully. But if I'm just having a burger and fries, are you kidding me? I have no memory. After the first bite, and biting my tongue like I did today, no memory. And eating is just one of the many activities that if I don't say do this mindfully, then it just flies by. It's this idea of spending so much time in your own head with your own thoughts that if you're multitasking with something else, and driving is the best example. Most people can drive 50 miles and have no recollection of anything on the road or on the sides of the road or other cars because they're just able to drive that vehicle. Still driving safely, but they're in their heads, in their heads, in their heads, in their heads. Think about how many activities you could do that with. My dog walks? Am I walking mindfully? Never. That's why I actually have on an app five minutes of mindful walking meditation. And I tap it and the lady's voice says, look at the trees, smell the air, listen to the sounds of society, listen to the sounds of the city, tactile, try to feel your foot on the ground. And then it works. And then I think it makes me healthier. But without that, without me tapping that app, where is my head? How many activities am I missing? Do it mindfully. Do it mindfully. Do you shower mindfully? Or you just go in there and it's boom, autopilot. Sometimes I'm so mentally removed from even little remedial activities like that, I forget. Did I shampoo? Did I, eh? Did I, eh? Did I wash that? So I have to do it again. By the way, at the YMCA, there's only one liquid in the showers. Think about how many things you could have in your shower right now. You could have shampoo, conditioner, a body wash, a facial wash. That's four things right there. What else could you have? A bar of soap. Go to the grocery store. Anything in that cosmetic toiletry aisle that you would use during a shower at the YMCA gym, there's one liquid out of the dispenser. What is that liquid? Are you going to tell me it's everything? Are you about to tell me that? Are you just going to say, oh, it's everything you need. You just put that on your face. You put it on your body. You put it in your hair. Yeah, it's everything. One liquid. They might have to step their game up a little bit and have a couple of liquids, a couple of options. I mean, I use it. I just lather up. Just, I'm just a foamy mess of one liquid lather, but I'd love to know what it is. It's got to be the cheapest, cheapest shit ever, right? It's a business. I mean, the YMCA has a business. This is not like top shelf body wash shampoo mixed with facial wash. This is probably a powder from Cisco that they mix with water and gelatin and then they just shove it 
through the dispensers and <laughs> and me and all the old fellas just get all lathered up. You know what I'm realizing? I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Maybe not in appearance yet. Not everything is sagging, but emotionally, mentally, in my soul, I'm one of them. I'm in the aerobics pool. I'm in the big lather in the showers. As a kid, I remember walking through these gyms thinking those are the adults. Now, blink of an eye. Fellas, I'm one of you. All right, here's what I want to do. I was thinking about this because I don't have a show right now. Sometimes my wife and I are between shows. Actually, she's never between shows. She likes everything. She has eclectic taste. My wife can watch anything. Me, way too picky. Way too picky. So I find myself always chasing the next best show. But really, I only like a few shows. So before Curb Your Enthusiasm had started, I didn't have a show. And I was thinking, what did I used to like? I don't want to forget that I had taste. Or maybe it was just we only had a few channels and this is what was being fed to me. But it felt like America used to watch the same shows collectively. And now nobody's on the same page. We're just all having our own individual experience with how we stream our shows. And then forget about them, right? Nothing has a lingering effect anymore. Nothing has such a profound impact that just lasts and lasts and lasts. Because the next best thing is right there, right around the corner. Do you remember the feeling of watching a show? A once a week network sitcom and then waiting a full week? to see where that suspenseful storyline was going? That doesn't exist anymore. Or maybe it does. I forgot, there are still network shows on with laugh tracks. I forgot, there are still Americans who watch these shows, but not me. So I was going back and thinking, what did I like? I'm just gonna read a bunch of the synopsis, synopses of these shows. I liked Alf. You liked Alf. If you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, I liked Alf. So I'm just gonna go to Wikipedia pages, Wikipedia pages, and read the first three sentences of these show descriptions. Alf, a smart-mouthed creature. Alf, alien life form. Did you know that? It was an acronym this whole time. Alien life form crash lands in a suburban garage. His spaceship is beyond repair. He's ugly. He's short. This is what it says. He's got a bad attitude. What's a family to do? Why? They take in the furry creature, of course, and watch as he comments on humankind and tries to eat the cat. A delicacy of his home planet, Melmac. From 1986 to 1990, I am certain I did not miss an episode. All right. Weird? Yes. Did I have an Alf doll? Yes. Was it a Hanukkah present? Yes. Was it a giant Alf doll even bigger than me? Yes. I've realized that I would just watch these shows and not question the plots, and that's why I want to go back. I want to go back and start looking at the plots. What were they about? How about My Two Dads? You remember My Two Dads from 1987 to 1990? Paul Reiser. So Joey and Michael, who fought over the same woman 13 years ago, now have, upon her death, been awarded joint custody of her daughter, who might be either of theirs. I never knew that. So how do the men settle their problems? With a paternity test. No way! Instead, they all move in together to raise Nicole, that's the girl, as a two-dad nuclear family, under the watchful eye of the family court judge. I remember the judge. Dads and daughter adjust to their new situation. My two dads. I didn't really get it. What am I, 1987 to 1990? I'm like six to nine years old. I'm not noticing the nuances or intricacies of this plot. I'm just enjoying my two dads. What else? You want another synopsis, don't you? How about Small Wonder? You remember Small Wonder? Of course you remember Small Wonder. It's an American comedy science fiction sitcom that aired from 1985 to 1989. The show chronicles the family of robotics engineers who secretly create robots modeled after a human girl 
Then they try to pass it off as their adopted daughter. Of course, I'm talking about Vicky. She's a small wonder. What a great show. And holy shit were these weird storylines. Things got real weird in the late 80s. What else did I watch? Blossom. Let's look up Blossom. What was that even about? All right. Blossom was an American sitcom television show which broadcast for five seasons, 1990 to 1995. Mayim Bialik was Blossom Russo, a teenager living with her father and two elder brothers. All right, that's not really a great plot. Why did I like it? I don't know. If I put on an episode of Blossom today, not good. Actually, most of these shows, you put them on today, you're like, what was I thinking? Full House, Roseanne, Life Goes On, Home Improvement, Family Matters, Roseanne, did I already say that? Whoever would have thought I would say things today, like I'm between shows. There's 3.2 million options. Back then there were nine, and I felt satisfied every night of the week. Now, oversaturated. It's what happens. It's what happens. Because I'm acting like I have to have the perfect viewing experience. With all these options, I have to have the perfect. I'm such an idealist when it comes to entertainment. Seriously, when I watch a movie, I'm expecting it to be great. Every movie I've ever started in my life. That's my hope. Not, I hope it's decent. I hope it's pretty good. I always want to be blown away. I set the bar way too high. I think I do that with too many things. I think that's my problem, amongst other things. All right. It's time, isn't it? It's time to just say goodbye. We're done here. Believe it or not, there were two little important things I really wanted to touch, but I won't, which means you got to come back for episode 83. Is this 82? Going back to my phone to make sure. Yeah, 83 is going to be good. This one you just heard, 82, eh, you made it through it. It was good background noise. But 83, oh my God, it's going to be so good. Next week on Here We Go, Josh finally gets to some important shit. All right, pal, I love you. Have yourself a wonderful week, a wonderful day, a wonderful moment. Be happy. Release the endorphins. Put a review up or a rating up on iTunes if you like. Or if not, it's okay. Just keep doing you. Also, I want to congratulate my Uncle Andy. He retired after 3,000 years as a urologist, doing great work. So time to celebrate. Cheers to you. All right, episode 82 is now in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 